0: If you've invested in your business, chances are you've funded future growth potential through leverage, and after filling out loan applications and undergoing credit checks. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses. So read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. Betashares Capital Limited is the issuer. Welcome to the Australian Business Podcast. I'm Daniel Golubev. I'm Jordan Kittis. I'm Owen Rask. We're here to help you make more profit, find work-life balance, save time, capital, and grow your business. Every week, we drop the best tax tips, marketing hacks, growth strategies, and methods to help you grow. If you haven't already, take the free Rask Business Course Book a chat with me or Daniel at Grayspace or get in contact with us about business coaching. We also love hearing from you. So send us your questions and feedback using the resources found in the podcast player for each episode. Let's get into it. Chances are, if you run a business, one of your hopes, even if it's not the primary aim, is to build wealth for yourself and your family. After all, starting a business a successful business is probably the single biggest opportunity to create real and lasting wealth for yourself, your shareholders, and your family. But one thing that often goes neglected in a business owner's journey is simply your own personal finances. So one of the things we're trying to do at Rask is bring together more experts to answer more questions on everything related to finances, business, property, superannuation, insurance, Whatever it is, we want to be your source of wisdom and long-term thinking. For this episode, we're going to take a sideways step from the day-to-day running a business, and we're going to talk to a financial planner who can answer questions and indeed who runs his own business. Alex Luck is one of the co-founders and a financial planner at Everest Wealth, one of our new financial planning partners here at RASC. You can get in contact with Alex and his team. By going into your podcast player, and you'll find a link that says financial planning. It's that simple. You'll also find things in there like business coaching, property coaching, mortgage broking, and basically an opportunity to connect with any of the experts that I've personally vetted. In this episode, we talk about the financial planning process, where the line is drawn between what a financial planner does, what an accountant does, what a mortgage broker does, the cost of getting good financial advice, how it can be paid for. The importance of insurance for anyone listening to this that is not insured and runs a business and has a mortgage or has kids, please stop listening to this right now and get it sorted. We'll talk about all that and more in this episode. But what I really want you to do is send us your questions. Even if you only listen to this one podcast on the RAS network and you are just here for the business insights, there is so much we can offer, whether it's through Daniel and Jordan, myself, any of our property experts, retiree experts, legal experts, whatever the case may be, send us your question and get involved. Uh, We are going to continue to do these Q&A style episodes going forward because they are by far the most popular. We are going to keep doing our interviews with founders and business owners as well. So just get involved. Let us know what you'd like and don't like. Leave us a review. It all helps. But in the meantime, here's a wonderful episode with Alex Luck of Everest Wealth. I hope you enjoy it. Alex, thanks for taking some time to join me on the show, mate. Thanks, Owen. Great to be
1: here. Looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it's um, been a long time coming. I'm glad we can uh, have this chat. We're going to answer some questions. We're going to learn a bit more about you and about Everest. Um, And hopefully we'll have you back regularly to answer a lot of questions because a lot of our community is, I guess, in the accumulation bucket, what we call an accumulation is like pre-retirement. And people are trying to solve a lot of problems, whether it's insurance, super, saving for a house, upgrading property, um, starting a business, getting out of a business, so many different things, having kids, and you and your team are so well-placed to answer all these questions. So we will have a heap of questions at the back that folks have sent in. Uh, and please, there is a link in every episode on a RASP podcast where you can submit a question. Just select the Australian Finance podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, property podcast, whatever, uh, just submit your question. But, mate, um, can you tell us, you're a financial planner today, but can you tell us how did you get started in finance? Like why was this interesting to you as a kid? Was it? Was it not? Let's go from
1: there. Right. How did I get started in finance? How long have we got? Yeah. Um... Yeah, I guess, um, well, I was probably uh, somewhat born into it a little bit in that uh, my old man um, was an accountant and um, owned his own accounting practice for, for 40-odd years, I think, before mm. he sort of sold it. So, sort of grew up, obviously, seeing a little bit of what he did and, um, yeah, sort of, I guess, yeah, being being around that, I think, through sort of osmosis, sort of absorbed, um, you know, a few sort of money fundamentals and stuff like that. I also probably just found, in, in general... Um, yeah, just in general life that I've always kind of got money to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. I've always probably been a relatively good saver. Um, do like to spend, don't get me wrong, but always found that saving money wasn't too hard necessarily. So it's probably, again, pretty just naturally lucky there in that sort of uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, into high school was just, uh, yeah, very... Um, interested in economics. That was like my favorite sort of subject and one of the subjects that I um, sort of excelled at. And um, again, I guess just through probably osmosis through dad and stuff like that was pretty good at accounting as well. So when I, um, when I left school, actually, originally I was going to study dentistry. My, um, my huh. uncle was was a dentist, so didn't quite get the grades out of high school to get into that. So I ended up going into um, sciences. So did that did that for a year. Um, managed to get the grades then to potentially get into dentistry, but then. Yeah, just basically completely changed my mind in terms of what I wanted to do and decided that actually I do I am generally interested in in economics and commerce and and how financial markets work and stuff like that so. Ended up then switching over after that year to a double degree in commerce and economics um, completed that uh, and then thought i would sort of again from wa so i thought i'd jump into sort of maybe one of the more sort of the mining industry and you know doing something on the sort of management accounting side or something like that um sort of gave that a go for a little bit wasn't really into it necessarily and then was kind of just fluffing around um and then yeah dad was basically tapped me on the shoulder was like look you know why don't you just come try accounting you know come come work for us for a bit so went and did that ended up working there for i think it was about three years as a a tax accountant, Um, learned a lot, but again, wasn't super passionate necessarily about it. So I was sort of thinking about my next move. Um, And that was sort of a time where a lot of accounting practices were starting financial planning and basically they sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said look we're thinking of doing a jv with a more experienced financial planner but we'd like someone younger to sort of come in from our end like would you sort of be interested um and that was sort of when i was like oh that sounds sounds interesting i'll give that a go and yeah 10 years later the rest is history i
0: guess Mm. what is what is it about financial planning that you find so interesting like what what's made it stick
1: well, where to me personally, it's so much more interesting than accounting, um, no disrespect to all the, uh, the accountants <laughs> out there, is it's always forward looking, whereas like tax accounting, which I was predominantly doing is always like, you know, what have you done? You know, let's look at the lot like the past year and, and stuff like that. Whereas financial planning is more about, yeah, what are you looking to do in the future? And then that problem solving piece. So I really enjoy that the way I sort of describe it to clients is, we help them sort of put the jigsaw together so they come to us with the jigsaw pieces so they want to buy their first house or upgrade their house or they want to be able to retire early or they want to plan for kids or any of those sorts of, you know, sort of things mm. that, that are important to them and then we help them sort of put that, um, put those jigsaw pieces together to sort of complete the puzzle and that, yeah, personally I find, um, yeah, very interesting and very passionate about.
0: Mm. So people that are a bit sharp-eyed, Alex, they might have noticed that um – now like we've formed a partnership together where people can get financial planning advice through Everest and, and come to us and we can trust you to take care of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anyone that hasn't been through that process, not just with us, but just in general, the financial planning process, can you describe what it looks like? like I'm imagining someone listening to this right now. They've heard our podcast for years And for what it's worth, like we've deliberately not had that many financial planners on the show over the years because it's so hard to know who to trust and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But for for, for folks that are now thinking, well, maybe now is the time that I get a second opinion or my partner and I, we go and see you guys or whoever. Can you describe that process from end to end? So what does it look like from the beginning of like, how should someone interact with a financial planner? How does that typically go right through to, you know, the other side?
1: Yeah, so... I'll I'll explain our process sort of in a nutshell, but I think most financial planners would follow something similar. Um, I would think it might just be a shorter version or or potentially longer, I mean, from anecdotally speaking to other practices and stuff like that, like our onboarding process is probably typically longer than most. Um, But the reason we do that is, you know, predominantly we are working with accumulators. So it's their first time meeting a financial planner. So we really want to make sure they do fully understand the process and are sort of Mm -hmm. comfortable before they sort of commit. So. Yeah, basically how it works with us is um, we take a 15 minute free phone call with the client. Um, This is just to get to know a little bit more about their situation, us to sort of answer any initial questions and basically make sure we're gonna be potentially the right fit for each other. So effectively us sort of vetting that we can sort of provide some value um, to their situation. If we think we can, we then would move to what we call our initial meeting. This typically goes for around an hour with us. Um, we don't charge for this either. And this is more for an opportunity for us to sort of take them through. OK, these are the key areas where we think we can sort of potentially help you. This is broadly how we help clients um, in those areas. This is the process from start to finish. So they understand how many meetings we have, what's involved on their side, what's involved on our side. We explain how we charge and we explain the fees. So the idea is at sort of the end of that hour, they've got all the information in front of them so then they can make an educated decision of, yep, this sounds like the right thing for us or, you know, thanks for your time, but no thanks, which is obviously perfectly fine as well.
0: It's interesting because a lot of financial um, planning practices that I know wouldn't offer a full hour. It'd be like, well, 15 minutes and then kind of like, you, not 15 minutes per se, maybe it's half an hour whatever, but maybe they're like, you're in or you're out kind of thing because it's obviously time... For you guys and your team to put in to meeting with someone um to then like watch them walk away but i guess it makes sense what's it sorry go on yeah i was gonna
1: say well the reason we do it right because it's a good point like it is a large time investment for us the reason that we do it in all in all honesty is because at the end of the hour not always but but most people then want to proceed and the reason we take that full say hour hour and a half in that meeting plus sort of the phone call before, is that's kind of the time I think that um, is required to explain all the facets of how the whole thing works. Because, you know, it's a bit of money. I'm I'm not going to lie and stuff like that as well. So, you know, it's, it's it's not cheap to seek financial advice. Okay. But so therefore you need to understand, okay, well, why does it sort of cost what it costs? And that's a lot of that explanation of going, oh, okay, well, if I agree to go ahead after this, we do have two strategy meetings and then we do have a final meeting and then they help me implement all the advice and stuff like that as well. Like typically the process takes six to eight weeks for us um, to sort of do and it's quite intensive so it is a fair bit of our time um, mm. to get it done for the client and again it's highly personalized advice you know it's not cookie-cutted or anything like that as well so it's a lot of a lot of investment in our expertise but also just yeah that client facing time as well throughout the process
0: yeah for sure um okay so someone gets through um they've done this meeting is this i imagine what you would do maybe a fact find and you find out information about their client or not yet <laughs>
1: So we will, so again, this is I speaking, obviously, just Everest specifically. So what we do is, yeah, we, we will take down, um, again, pretty like broadish information. And, and what I mean by that is it'll be like, okay, well, you know, what's your mortgage? Oh, I think it's around 500000 Okay, that, that, that'll that all be fine for that initial meeting. If they agree to go ahead, then we will do a very accurate fact find, i.e., you know, give us the loan statement. So we know it's $501,202.03 kind of thing. Yeah. Um. But it's only once they sort of commit past that that initial meeting that we get the specific information, including doing the research on their existing super funds, shareholdings if they've got them, um, yeah, mortgage if they've got that, yeah, all those sorts of things.
0: Yeah, cool. And so you pull together all this information. You do a risk profile, I'm guessing. Yep. Which yep. is, I'm guessing, like a questionnaire that you maybe send to people. Yep. Um, that comes comes out with like a profile for either a single or a couple, um, like individually. Uh, and then you, your team basically starts implementing, like uh, well, no, not, no, not no, implementing, so, but like so
1: we would get all the information together, including like the goals that we've taken down from chatting to them. They also fill out a goals questionnaire as well. So we sort mm-hmm. of collate the two of those, and then we go into our first strategy meeting. Now, in that strategy meeting, we would have already come up with we would have already crunched the data that they've got and come up with a few pathways or a few potential solutions to basically meet those goals, and then we sit down and have that strategy meeting, which generally goes for about an hour and a half now sometimes during that meeting the pathways that we've gone down get rendered useless because they've decided xyz or a lot of the time um when they see what it actually looks like in terms of how it's cash flowed and forecast out and stuff like that you know they're like oh that looks a little bit different to what i expected um maybe we won't do that or we'll do something slightly different which is why with a couple typically we'll have another strategy meeting before we move to finalization because we need to sort of yeah, re-clean things up and stuff like that as well. Um, it just it really, you know, in all honesty, um, and we tell the clients in the initial meeting that you'll get one strategy meeting or you'll get two. It'll really just depend on what happens in that strategy meeting. Um, because if we go through it and you're like, yep, love that, love that, love that, and that's just tweak this slightly. Okay, perfect. Then we can obviously move to finalization.
0: Mm. How much does it cost to get advice for you guys? I know the industry can vary like from like you know, 5,000, 10,000, sometimes 15,000, 20,000 for really complex retirees with high net worths and that sort of stuff. But, like, for you guys, because you mentioned bread and butter, not always, mm-hmm. but I imagine most of the time is accumulators, people that are working, people that run their own business, sole traders, this types of thing. Just broadly speaking, I know everyone will be different. Like, what does it cost?
1: Yeah. So like you said, everyone will be quite different. Um, and I think if you are um, yeah, chatting to a few financial planners and stuff like that, it's a good idea to get an idea of the process and what's involved and what you get and stuff like that too. Us, for example, our minimum is, is four grand is typically what we'll charge as a one-off fee to provide all the advice and then help you implement it. You know, our fees range up to sort of fifteen thousand, but we don't typically ever sort of. Well, I've actually never charged that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> most of our clients um, sort of sit between the four to six and a half range, generally, as a as a one off to mm-hmm. provide the advice and then implement that all and get it yeah get it in place.
0: Does that do they have to pay all of that upfront? Like, how does that work?
1: So, um, we've actually only recently changed this slightly, but um, we used to take it all at the end, um, which uh, I told some other people in financial planning, they almost fell off their chairs. So, we have changed it slightly. I only actually, in five and a bit years of business. I think I've only been burnt five times, so once a year on average. Um, so again, this is just specific to us. We generally take a $1,000 as a deposit up front of that, and then the balance is payable at the end. Um, potentially, some of that can be paid via super as well, depending if we are doing some work for the client's super fund or not too.
0: So, uh, Without getting too far into the weeds, can you just explain a little bit? So some of it may be like, are we talking because I'm just thinking like people's out of pocket expense if they're listening to this and they want to yeah. get financial advice, which so many of the community do. In fact, I think it's over ten percent of our community want financial advice right now. Um yeah. so like if if like are we talking like a couple hundred bucks is out of super, like if they're getting full super advice or is it like a thousand, like roughly speaking
1: yeah so again it, it really depends on the super balances and again another sort of factors in terms of because because for example you know um we may do the research on the super fund and it may be appropriate or for some reason they may really really want to stay with that fund like they may have some sort of i don't know blind loyalty to australian super for some reason so then we'll just work within that fund as an example um of which yeah you can you can pay a fee through um to an advisor but because some funds won't allow it, uh, most will. Okay, um, but yeah, generally speaking, we take the thousand from cash flow, and the rest, depending on the situation, can be paid for via super.
0: Interesting. So that like brings down the barriers for a lot of people that want financial advice to set them up for the future. Um, yeah,
1: and the other advantage of putting it through super per se is it will get a fifteen percent tax deduction within the fund.
0: Yeah. So that's um that's great news for a lot of people that want to go through the process then they might be saving for a house or they might be um like you know have kids or a single income family then they're worried about their cash flow right now so that kind of news is like really reassuring i didn't know it's that high by the way but yeah yeah again
1: it depends on yeah a number of sort of factors per se but generally that can sort of could be how it goes um which as you said so For for predominantly the clients that we're working with, which is accumulators and stuff like that, you know, they don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars sitting
0: around in cash,
1: um, but they want the advice. So potentially they're happy to pay some of it from cash flow and then the rest from their super fund.
0: Hmm. Um, I did send you a very short, hopefully we can do a very short kind of imagination exercise here of like, imagine you have a couple in their 30s or 40s or yep. younger or older whatever um and what are the most common problem areas that you would see if someone a cu- you just i mean you don't have to use a couple you could just say generally speaking like could be a single whatever um what are the kind of common problem areas that you see
1: so uh, if i can broadly put our clients into sort of three buckets um
0: mm-hmm.
1: it'll generally be say a um yeah professional single or couple sort of pre-kids, okay, So and and may not be having kids necessarily either, so just, you know, have been in their professional jobs for a couple of years now, built up a bit of money, and that problem area is normally around buying their first home, okay, or, you know, wanting to invest some money but not quite sure how to necessarily do that, okay. Then we might have, um, fast forward, say five years later, it's the couple that are pregnant or want to get pregnant in the next 12 months and are a little bit concerned around their cash flows in terms of once we go down to one income or one and a half incomes, what does that look like? Say for our, mm-hmm. our current mortgage repayments, per se, or our current investing strategy, or yeah, our holidays, or, or something like that. Basically, they want some, some help or some guidance around that. Um, and then the other one would be, um, say, a, a couple or, you know, all singles per se with 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 young kids. And then it's around, yeah, potentially, again, upgrading the house or investing for the kids possibly, um, getting on top of that cash flow because now they've got kids and they're just, they, they're, you know, they're even more time poor than they were before. So they just want, again, more structure to how money flows and stuff like that so they don't have to think about it too much. And, no. and I would guess we're overarching sort of all three of them common problems it's normally just direction um so i spoke to a lady on the phone the other day and she was like oh i'm not quite sure if it's for me because i don't i'm not quite sure what i want to do and i was like to be honest that's most people who we talk to and what we do is help you sort of yeah, flesh out what you actually want to do and show you in real life with the numbers of okay if you do xyz where does that sort of get you in five years or if you do abc where does that get you in five Mm. years to sort of help with that clarity piece
0: Mm. yeah it's um I think that's what a lot of people need is like a second opinion on their, Because financial planning is like, it's not f- like you only have the finances to plan for life, right? And so some people are lost with both of those things completely. Um, but getting some kind of rigor around the finances can help you design the life that you want or help you readjust. Um, and it's so important.
1: And then if I can put, yeah, probably on that as well, like three broader car- categories within those categories, It's it's typically... The person that knows they need to do something but has no idea what to do. The person that's done heaps and heaps of research and is basically now in a form of analysis paralysis, so just Mm -hmm. can't make a move because they've got too much information. Or the third one is someone who's done a bunch of stuff and, like you said, wants a second opinion to effectively how they can make it more efficient. Like, have I done the right thing? You know, that's sort of common as well. So almost those three types of situations come across the sort of three generalized client groups i described before as well
0: mm. can i uh, just just off the top of my head do you deal with many business owners
1: so we do um we do uh in terms of helping them i guess we Where I kind of like to come in per se is we'll always give our two cents and and ten cents on tax structuring of the business and and things like that and optimization around those sorts of things. But generally, I will we won't provide any advice on how they run their business. Okay, because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, if you're if you're a plumber, I don't really know how to be a plumber per se. So you should focus on doing that. I'll help you around the best way to sort of structure that possibly Um, along with. Most importantly, I think I see for a lot of particularly small business owners is sucking out some of that money and putting it somewhere else as well. So, diversifying it away from, say, mm. just your home and then just your business. So, then because you said a lot of people go through life, um, small business owners, and they've got their, say, that they, they might have their house, but then that plumbing business is all they've got as well. Now, that may be, a very, again, a very good asset, but it's not very well diversified in case yeah, something oh, happens sure. in that business, they lose it. So, we do a lot of education around yeah, potentially taking some money out and putting it elsewhere into something that's, again, diversified, helps a sort of passive income stream, um, so they've got something else as well.
0: Yeah, I think any business owners that listen to this would be able to say, like, yeah, my business is either good or great or bad or somewhere in between. Yeah. But um, it's so important to build wealth outside of that and have that, like, I can't... Well, you know, we've got a free business course, Alex, and in that, I was like, you know, it's really important for you set up your business, to speak with an expert, whether it's an accountant or financial professional, whatever, just to think about, like, how you separate cash, how you separate ownership structures with you, your partner, your business because, man, that is such an important thing for people's risk longer term um, and getting advice is so important, probably from multiple sources. To be honest. That's
1: right. And then particularly, again, for, like, you know, if you if you're not an accountant and stuff like that, it's understanding like you know if it's in a company structure, like what is company money? What is your money? Because a lot yeah. of people get confused and they just sort of go, "But it's all my money, isn't it?" Well, technically, no. Like yeah. that hundred grand you're referring to, it's actually the company's. You know, your your money is the ten grand in your personal account. Um, mm. So it's again, it's helping sort of explain how
0: that sort of works as well. For sure. Um, I got two. What one more question really before we get to the actual questions sent in by the community, um, and this. We have a big contingent of people that are interested in property, maybe not even necessarily property investors, but a lot of them are, to be honest, frankly. It surprises me. Um, and people that, are, like you said before, they're either trying to buy their first house, they're trying to settle down into a house, or they're maybe even upgrading. Who knows? It's all like property-ish related. And we mm-hmm. have a full channel for that, which we've created this year. But um, where does the line kind of get drawn in the sand around where the – like financial planner sits in helping people with that?
1: Yeah. So it's, a, it's a good, yeah, really good question. Um, and as again, it's something that we deal with all the time. Cause like added to that as well, is often, you know, I want to buy my first, first, sorry, in, investment property. You know, how does that sort of work? So mm. the line to sort of summarize it quite quickly it gets, gets sort of cut in terms of like, we can't tell you what specific property to buy. Okay. Right. So, so we don't do that. I mean, again, I think, Potentially, technically, we could per se, like, because there's no real licensing around it. But our licensee doesn't allow us to do that, and most financial planning licensees won't allow you to do that. Okay, yeah. so so you can't do that. What we do, though, okay, is you might come to us and go, look, I want to infe- buy my first investment property, but i um, not quite sure necessarily on my borrowing capacity, and more worried about my cash flow as well, like in terms of the impact of that. So what we'll do is go, okay, great, um, Owen, um, what are some areas that are you potentially thinking of? And you might be like, you know, ABC. So we sort of look at the the median price in those areas to make sure that firstly you can obviously afford it from a borrow capacity um, mm. point of view, and then show you I guess the real life impact of okay if you if you did buy that this is the you know the expected rent that we should be able to get which we all pull from sort of RP data or core logic so we we use all that so we have an accurate idea of exactly how much rent you should be able to get for say, a, a three by two in that area, mm. and then we can show you the impact on your cash flows. So you've got your salary um, coming in, which you obviously pay tax, and you've now got rent coming in, which you will now pay tax on as well. We'll put in there, um, you know, the interest uh, deductibility of that. We'll normally put some property expenses in there as well. So we've got that deductibility as well. So you've got, you should leave that sort of conversation or that, um, that session with a very good idea of, okay, I can actually afford it and if I do buy it, this is effectively how it's going to look for me, um, which then mm. obviously gives you the confidence to go and execute it as opposed to you just go and buy something and then try and figure it out sort of in the back end.
0: Yeah, so someone, you're basically sitting on like the the personal side of that, like how does that asset impact your life? That's right, um, yeah. Not telling them to go and do it and say, go buy this property because it's such a great, it's a bargain on that street kind of thing. You'll just sit there and be like, here's all the information you need to make an informed decision. Go and speak to a professional. Go and, you know, you figure that maybe
1: out. Yeah and that's where we'll often introduce the buyers agent at the end which is basically okay these are the areas that they, they potentially want this is sort of their spending power you know you now know personally once they've executed you'll be okay and you can carry that cash flow wise and often we'll include like you know if interest rates go up by two percent what does that look like so we'll build in buffers so you can see that as well and then yeah that's when you potentially you'll either go and do it yourself or obviously engage a buyer's agent to um to get that done for you. Yeah, Along cool. with I guess more general explaining to people like you know, the differences between land and houses versus units and, you know, what yield is and and that sort of stuff as well.
0: For sure. Um, so we have got, um, as promised, a bunch of questions that have been sent in. Please, uh, Alex and I want to do these regularly, so please send in your questions. If you want to ask a financial planner a question, um, the place to do it is the thing that says ask a question in the show notes. Uh, just the, sense, yeah. the, in the <laughs> podcast player, just click that, click You can click any of the podcasts, it'll come through, but probably the Australian Finance Podcast or wherever you listen. Um, So I was going to ask you about insurance inside or outside of super. Um, I'm going to insert an extra disclaimer. I always do this at the beginning of the show, but in particular for questions is that we don't know personal circumstances. We just get the information through the question. So um, it's really important to know that we don't tailor these responses necessarily to the circumstances that you give us. Uh, your needs, goals or objectives are what need to be assessed by a financial planner as part of the financial planning process. So we can only give general financial information. So please consider speaking to a licensed professional before you act on the information. And if we do talk about things like ETFs, super funds, whatever, go get the PDS and product a product disclosure statement or TMD. Uh, now, without further ado, I was gonna ask you just generally about um, getting insurance because uh, we don't talk about it a lot on the show. Um, And that's just generally because it can be a bit like, I think this is one area of people's lives where they need to get personalised advice if they want to do it, or at least do a whole heap of DD themselves and understand the difference. Like we can educate inside super, outside super, this is income protection, that's life insurance. But there were some great questions and one in particular that stood out to me that came through Alex is, it's from a person called Traumatic Protection. So that's a good anonymised name. Um, If I have income protection insurance inside of super, and trauma insurance outside of super. Can I claim on both policies if I experience an eligible condition that prevents me from working for a period of time? So they're basically saying, if you have two insurance policies inside outside super, what's the deal?
1: Cool, so um, yeah, really great question. Um, So income protection, Firstly, can be paid inside super or outside super. Okay. This person's obviously opted to pay for it inside their super fund, which a lot of people do, um, whether they know it or not, because typically um, that's mm. the default cover that you will get when you open a fund. Trauma can't be paid inside super. That must be paid outside. So that's why, um, hence why in this case, yeah, um, they are paying for it outside super. Generally, yeah, you, you can claim on both. Um, mm. However, the, the thing to note here is, is trauma cover, which critical illness is a better way to explain it because effectively it pays out if you suffer a critical illness like cancer, heart attack or stroke. There's generally around 50 to 55 conditions which are in a trauma contract. I don't know why they call it trauma. Critical illness is a much better way to explain <laughs> it. Um, with our medical clients, sometimes when we start saying trauma, they think of trauma injury. Yeah. Um, again, that's, that's, that's not correct. Critical illness is the best way to, um, to explain it. Uh, It's actually not subject to whether you can work or not, however, um, as this person has sort of stated in the question. So trauma will pay out effectively if you are diagnosed with a critical illness and you meet the definitions in the PDS. So it's not subject to whether you can work or not. So you Mm. may say get breast cancer and it's luckily they've got it very early and it's quite mild. So you're only going to have to go from full time to part time possibly. Okay, so obviously it's still impacting your work in that example. However, it would be paid out. In theory, um, at the point in time that it is diagnosed, whereas income protection is subject to your ability to whether you can work or not. So, mm. um, it's an in, in income protection covers you for an injury or illness. So, in that, so that take that breast cancer example, income protection could potentially pay on that as well if that breast cancer is going to stop you from working for a period of time. Income protection after the waiting period would then start start paying you at that point in time.
0: Um, we get a lot of people ask these types of questions, like if I have two different insurances, can I still claim um, both, on, yeah. on both? Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's a good question. Again, um, <clears throat> the answer is it depends. To be honest, so <laughs> like um, so with income protection, generally, well, pretty much in every income protection contract, they'll have an automatic offset clause of any other income protection contracts that you may hold. So. Mm. For example, again, real rough numbers here, say you earn 100 grand. generally you're allowed to sort of insure yourself for, say, 75% of that, okay? So if you have an income protection contract, which is, say, covering you for 50% of that and then another one that's covering you for 25, you would be able to claim on both in that example. But if you had two income protection contracts, both claiming you for 75%, okay, which is the max you can have, um, you wouldn't be able to claim on both in that example.
0: Okay, not to push this, because we're going to do a whole episode on this. We were talking before. We're going to do a whole episode on this. Um, but a lot of people, like myself included, I kind of went above what was default in my super fund for income protection. Yep. Is it possible to get more than 75%? It is, but it's not potentially
1: possible to be paid out on that.
0: Yeah. And this is some of the things that um, people, I think, miss, if I'm being honest, Alex. It's like people think because they pay the insurance, they can claim for it. But then they miss things like medical underwriting, not being truthful in all of the details. Um, and that's where getting specialists. Over insuring
1: yourself possibly because yeah. you just use like you earn 100 grand. So you've just you've just covered yourself for that without realizing that 75% might be the max that they do. Um, that's pretty mm. common as well. Yeah, there's a lot of, so I, the way I sort of ex, uh, explain insurance to clients is like it starts off very broad, but then it does become incredibly bespoke or personal to your own situation. A mm. um, you know, quick example, like, you know, say, life insurance. If you've got a, an industry super fund um, and you haven't checked your insurance cover, you've probably got some life insurance kicking around in there. Um, and you might be a single guy or gal um, with no no dependents, you know, no debts, you um, you know, no one that's going to sort of financially suffer if you're suddenly not here, as an example. So then again, you're potentially paying for some insurance cover that you don't really need at this point in time. Um, yeah, That's another thing that we see, which is quite common. So you only ever want to pay for what you need. It's just making sure you've got that need correct. Um, and and, you should, and therefore, yeah, you should basically... My, my two cents would be to, yeah, review what you've got currently and, um, yeah, a bit of your own situation.
0: I feel like if there's like two things in people's lives that are listening to this, it's not in retirement, so put them in a different basket or like approaching retirement. If there's two things that people listen to this that they should do in their life is one, review their super and two, review their insurance. Because if you get your super right, it's a very big free kick in the long-term direction for compounding. And the second thing, if you get your insurance right, it's a massive, massive downside protection should the worst happen, you know. And I just can't believe that so many people don't have their insurance I think people just get overwhelmed with it, and that's where expert advice is so important. Okay. So we've got some more questions which we'll get to, mate, if that's okay with you. The first yeah, one sure. I think I don't I don't know about this question, so I've put a note in here. It's from Tracy. Tracy said I have ten thousand dollars to invest and in, need a broker. She goes on to tell us where she lives, exactly how old she is, how much money she has, what her financial situation is. She said, bad with money, bad divorce, no property, no savings. My adult kids will spend it all if I don't invest it. I need a broker. Please, please help. Now, Tracy, I'm going to be quite blunt with this response, and I'm going to say we simply do not know your personal circumstances now. um, And so I'm going to say we cannot answer this question, um, but I would say that if you are in a situation where you feel like you are struggling, the two best things to do is obviously to reach out to someone who you trust and get some help Um, even if that's your GP, for example. The second thing is to reach out to a financial counselor. If you if you are struggling and you don't have um, you know, the 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 means, the money to go and pay a financial planner, go and get professional help from a financial counselor. You can Google financial counselor or call the national debt helpline and they can connect you. It is a free service and they won't tell you which broker to go with but they will help you kind of get on top of the stress and anxiety of it all. And in the meantime, just keep listening to the podcast. And hopefully um, we can be more general with the questions next time and uh, help you out. But there's heaps of information on the RAS websites. Um, Just go and have a look. The second question. Now we might be able to respond to Alex. This one comes from Bob. Mm -hmm. Bob says that um, he owns shares in two companies, Block, which is the owner of Afterpay and Square and all that sort of stuff, and a rare earths business called Linus, he says, should I declare these shareholdings in my tax return, even if I never receive dividends and don't have any annual tax statement? Um, it is not even in the pre-fill section from the ATO website.
1: Yeah, it's a good, it's a good question. Um i mean the short answer is is no if you haven't received any income um, or dividends from these companies um, then effectively yeah there isn't anything to go into your into your tax return it would be similar to say holding shares in a maybe a more a private company or something like that and they've decided to pay Pay no dividends that year then there's effectively nothing nothing to enter into your tax return Um, Hmm. upon obviously the sale of those shares um, if you have made a, a capital gain or loss then that needs to be entered into the return but effectively yeah if you've received I would obviously double check and make sure that is that is correct <laughs> um, and make sure you've got your, you know, your, your tax file number lodged correctly with the the broker and stuff like that as well. But yeah, effectively, yeah. If, if nothing has been received then there is nothing to enter.
0: Yeah. I reckon Bob can be getting confused here, Alex, between maybe this is Bob's first time investing in individual shares and maybe he's used to like a, Um, ETF or a trust or like a managed fund or something like that where they will send you a tax statement at the end of the year because you may have tax occurring inside of that thing Um, whereas with individual shares one of the beauties of them is if you don't sell it there's no capital gains tax bill and if you don't receive dividends um, there's no income so that can be good and bad of course but um, it's just important to keep on top of that as much as possible. Does Block, um, did Block not pay a dividend? I feel like it doesn't because I feel like it's loss, loss making. I should have checked this before, but I'm almost certain it would not have because it was in a deep hole after uh, COVID with no one uh, spending yeah. and their, their bad debts potentially spiralling after they've lent all the people money through Afterpay. So, um, right. And the cash app doesn't charge in the United States. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Scrooge McDuck writes in, and this question is probably going to rear its head a few times, Uh, No pun intended with the duck, but um, best way to invest for your kids, Alex, like um, just generalized question, I guess, is someone's thinking I've got some kids either on the way or I've got, you know, young kids, adult kids, whatever. A lot of people think about this. So what in your dealings with clients, how do you tend to approach this?
1: yeah and look it's a great question you and i were obviously having a bit of a chat of it offline before we got going um and it's something that we yeah we get very regularly um as i said mm. a lot of our clients are thinking about having kids or they've got young children and stuff like that i think first and foremost um it comes back to making sure that your own financial situation and financial goals are effectively taken care of. Um, so what I mean by that is typically with um with new parents, not always, but they might almost feel like they should do something. So it's like, you know, they're yeah. like, oh, you know, I heard, you know, John down the streets investing for his kids. Like I need to do something for my kids um, and get and get that going. Which again is great. You know, obviously makes sense. You obviously love your kids. But it's first making sure that your own situation is sorted and tracking the way that you ultimately want it. Because at the end of the day, I guess what we explain to clients is it's all gonna to go to the kids anyway. So there's no point in, in my opinion, chucking in you know, 200 bucks a month into a kids share account, if that's gonna be better off in your offset account right now, because you've got a decent mortgage, you know, which again, most people do sort of in, in the accumulation yeah. phase. So it's first sort of thinking about that. Secondly, um, if you know, again, your own sort of situation is tracking pretty well, and it's also looking good um, from that point of view. It's, again, maybe linking it back to a a goal. So I sort of mentioned to you before that a lot of our clients um, tend to like the idea or at least the option, say, of of private school, um, Mm. particularly in high school. Um, So that's, again, potentially an area where you can start putting some funds away. If they're obviously very young, you know, you can potentially invest some of that money Mm. to try to make uh, the maximum return over that period between now and them being, you know, 12 years old and going to high school to help pay for those future fees, um, which obviously, again again, the debate on public or private can go on and on. But again, if, 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 if ultimately you feel that a private education is going to give them a better leg up, that's obviously a, a way that you can do it.
0: And expensive.
1: And expensive, that's right. So you start saving for it now, right? So that it's less of a hit to your cash flow when it comes around. And again, it, it's obviously giving you the option at that point in time. And what, what we'll do, again, sort of anecdotally, is often link it back to the private school or the couple of private schools that they're thinking. So we've got the actual right. fees and we index the fees and stuff like that. So we, again, as, as much as possible, make it um, as realistic that when they get to that point in time, they've they've got enough money to to fund that, per se. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, sort of the, well, yeah, again, then, so that's sort of the, those first two things. Um, and then finally, yeah, if you do just want to invest, I guess, for your, for your kid's future, it's yeah. It's potentially looking at um, you know there's plenty of options out there with with different brokerage accounts now where you can effectively be the the, the trustee on it and the, and the kid can be the the beneficiary. Mm. Generally, that means that you pay the tax throughout them sort of getting to say 18 per se. And again, hypothetically though, at that point in time when they're 18, um, the, the ownership of the shares can be transferred over to them. Mm. It's a little bit gray, but then in theory um, there's no CGT to pay at that point in time, which is a bit of an mm. advantage that you can then obviously gift um, that shareholding or the the ownership of those shares then then to the beneficiary.
0: It's, it's one of those things like from your answer, what I'm getting at is like simple should be the default stance whereas people tend to overcomplicate in the first instance, whereas simple means kind of like elegant but also effective for a lot of people and it's less things to keep on top of like um, there's one thing about trying to like deflect tax in the present or the future, but there's another thing around just trying to sleep better at night. And I feel like a lot of people with an offset account right now will be saying, yeah, I just put my money in my offset and that's great. And I feel like I can get up in the morning and I don't have to check a portfolio and um, I can you know, just be more present with my family. And it's simple. That's, That's right. What I like, yeah. You know? And
1: yeah, and you will have less financial stress, which like you said, that means that you can be then potentially a better parent. Um, other opportunities will come along the way that you'll be ready for possibly too. So, and mm-hmm. I guess like the final one as well is potentially you might decide to invest in experiences. So instead of putting that you know five grand a year um into that that share account you might allocate that five grand so you can take a slightly better or more unique holiday every year with your children possibly too so you're giving them experiences that potentially maybe you didn't get yourself as well that's another way that some people Mm. sometimes go with it too
0: yeah like it okay so we've got uh, one final question before we wrap up today's first episode with you mate it's from jason um I had purchased your, your ETF stock guides, which did mention a company called Core Lithium, which is a lithium company. I bought them and they have plummeted. But now I see in your report that you are not an expert on stock. Wondering why you suggested to your clients to buy the stock. Uh, I can tell you what, Jason, we did definitely not talk about this company. Uh, we may have spoken about it on a live show, um, but it's not the type of thing that we would ever invest in and not on behalf of our community either. Um, it may be an interesting lithium company, Um, but definitely not something that is on my plate and nor on any of the team's plate. I've got a question for you, Alex, if I could turn this into a generalized question is I imagine you see a lot of clients come in and they have kind of like a, what I would call like a medley soup of different investments. Like they have some of this, maybe it's like a little bit in like a spaceship and like a couple of shares over here maybe a couple of ETFs here and there. Do you tend to like, do they, maybe not as a, I'm not asking you for like what you would do in that circumstance, but as a general rule, do you tend to find that when you talk to clients about that, they tend to be like, well, I don't know. And then they just kind of clean it up themselves. Does that tend to be the,
1: it's a bit of, it's a bit of both, to be honest. Um, It kind of, again, comes down to what the client wants to do. Like a lot of the time, like you said, that's, that's very common. Some people will come to us and they've got like two grand in spaceship and a thousand in rays. And they've, you know, put 500 bucks into 10 other, you know, either ETFs or, or direct stocks and stuff like that as well. So, mm-hmm. again, it sort of depends what the client wants to do. Um, a lot of the time we'll simply just leave it per se um, because it's it's normally not a huge amount of money. Um, you know, some of it might have done a right, some of it might have done badly. So, we, we again, we tend to sometimes just leave that. Sometimes we do clean it up and effectively just just sell sell it down. Um, but a lot of it, it is then for us is coming back to like, this real scattergun approach with only sort of small amounts of money, which is, again, what most people sort of have um, in the accumulation phase, to me, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And that's sort of what we we help sort of educate them on that, look, maybe like a, again, a diversified core high growth ETF, if your plan is just for long term wealth building is going to make you know a lot more sense, a lot more simple um, and get that sort of compounding effect going in there as opposed to buying Yeah, 500 bucks of of FMG and then 500 bucks of CBA and 500 bucks of Core lithium or something like that.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would just say, yeah, it's very easy. I mean, if you're going to do that, you just got to keep it contained, don't you, when it comes to um, knowing your risk and those types of things. I feel like for younger people in particular, like anyone, I'd say under 60, when I say younger, I mean in financial terms, you've got so long to compound, even at 60 one thing i learned really early on and i'm fortunate for that lesson was that um that's a long time and so you should be focusing on the things that don't change a lot of people come out swinging for the gates when they think about investing i'll buy this thematic etf i'll buy that stock uh the reality is like 10 years 20 years from now will those things still be around um and more often than not, the answer is no. So just mm. keep it simple and long-term focused. And I, I've
1: experienced answer. that myself. You know, when I first started out, yeah, you know, I did the whole, yeah, 500 bucks of this, 500 bucks of that, all those sorts of things. Um, mm. And, yeah, some of them went really well. Some of them went terribly. But overall, I, I you know, I can guarantee I did worse off um, had I just put it into, yeah, a, a core ETF that, that tracks sort of the the main sort of share market indexes
0: and mm. left it. Um. Mm. Yeah, yeah. simple, simple work. So it's kind of going to be one of the takeaways from this chat. Um, so if people want to send in their questions, they can do that super easily. Uh, you can get in contact with us by hitting the thing that says, ask a question. It's also available on all the RAS websites. It's in your podcast player on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening or watching this or on YouTube. Um, keep in mind that um, there is also a link in the show notes to get in contact um, with Alex and the team at Everest. You can book in that first call for free um you put in your information it sends an email to the team you book in through calendly presto you can get on the road and i feel like it's super affordable mate um, for people to get advice which is the number one thing that i really want people to take away from this um if people want to follow you on socials they can do that right
1: yep yep so we're um on instagram and facebook um we're not on tiktok
0: uh, maybe one day <laughs> <laughs> that's good mate no that's great so i'll be there'll be linking the show notes to those things as well you'll be hearing more from alex and the team at everest over the next few months and indeed into the new year so please send in your questions you can see he's got like a breadth of knowledge and depth as well so send it in and um, would love answering your questions i'm going to leave uh, everyone and you with one final question now alex um, which is something I'm hoping to bring in, which is just like if someone had just five minutes right now, like they're listening to this, they get to the end of the episode, they're gonna hear the ad that comes on at the end of the show, and they think, all right, I'm just gonna keep going on with the rest of my day. Like, what would you tell them? If you could give if you could take five minutes of the time and you could say, Hey, do this right now, what would it be? I
1: think the main thing is sort of what you touched on before in relation to the super fund. So I would be checking. If I have insurance, in, sorry, if I have insurance cover in there and yeah, how much it is, is, is it appropriate? And probably the other thing, again, linked to the super fund is, do I have a beneficiary nominated or not as well? Mm. So we see that a lot where people have got no beneficiary nominated and a lot of the time as well, which again, we don't have time to get into it today as well, but they've, they've nominated a beneficiary, which is probably not eligible. Okay, so you can only nominate someone in your super fund who is what's called a tax dependent. Typically, a tax dependent is a spouse, kids, or someone you have an interdependent relationship with. So, if you don't have anything like that, then you potentially need to nominate your estate. Your estate is then decided as per your will. So, beneficiary in the super fund, check that, and then it may be worthwhile looking to see whether you need to get a will or not, which, to be honest, everybody does. So, um, think about (laughs) getting that sorted too.
0: Yeah, cool. There's like three in one there. So, that's cool. So, start off with log into your super fund. There's an app probably on your phone or it's on the website. Log in using your member number, uh, figure out how much you're insured for, check out that uh, nomination of where your money would go in the event that the worst should happen um, and go from there. We'll cover all that and more in future episodes. Mate, thanks for taking the time to join me on your first episode. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Business Podcast. I think this series is best served with my free business course on RASC education. My free course includes all of my notes, templates, employment guides, legal documents, marketing strategies, software recommendation, and ideas for starting and running a small business. Finally, if this podcast or the course helps you, I only ask that you please help me by sharing it with one friend, colleague, or family member who runs a business. Thanks for listening.